Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Cheers, guys. Salud. That sounded beautiful. Let's see what it tastes like. Wow. Uh, tastes even better. Wow. Right? Phenomenal. It's pretty, uh, yeah, it's pretty magical. Oh, that's so good. It's pretty powerful liquid. <laughs> yeah, powerful. That's the magical, word. <laughs> powerful liquid. Bueno, guys, we made it to 2024. Yes, Whoa. Happy New Year. Man. That was a great way to, to kind of bring it in. <laughs> <laughs> Ring it in Happy New Year with some uh, literally special, bringing it in. special liquid. What, what did we just drink there, Jose? Uh, to celebrate the new year and um, to celebrate being here with you guys, uh, I brought a very special bottle of Maker's Mark Celeraged, which was released last September and sold out within the first couple of weeks that it hit the market. Wow. Uh, what makes this bottle special is that typically Maker's Mark is aged for about six to seven years, right? Uh, if you guys have had 46, 46 ages for an additional nine weeks in what we call our limestone cellar, our bourbon cellar. It's like a wine cellar, but for bourbon. So we wanted to do something special and Maker's Mark has never released anything with an age statement on it. So cellar aged is spent six years out in a warehouse, just like normal Maker's Mark. But then we put it in the limestone cellar for an, another six years. So this is essentially a 12-year-old version of Maker's Mark. But those extra six years that it goes through in the cellar makes it special because it's in a temperature-controlled environment where it's no longer exposed to crazy temperatures and uh, fluctuations in the winter and the summer. So essentially, uh, you're not going to get all that crazy tannins and oak that other super aged bourbons usually get from being out in the in the elements for that long, right? So um, yeah, it's a very special bottle. There's very few left in existence. So I uh, wanted to do something special here with you guys to kick off the new year. Well, we feel super special. Thank you so much, oh, Jose. Yeah. And for those of you who are like, wait, I've kind of heard this voice be before, <laughs> but not in the past year. I'm an Easter egg for those, <laughs> for those who've been following the, the podcast. With us today is Jose Vargas. He's a multicultural diplomat for Maker's Mark in Southern California. And he's also become a really good friend of ours. We're so honored to have him because from the very, very beginning of the podcast, he's always truly believed in us. Not because of Raul and I, although we would love to say it's because <laughs> of us, but it's really because of his passion and love for Musica Latina. So thank you so much for taking the time on a very you know, busy time of year to be with us today and share a little bit more about your story and our mutual love for Musica. So, bienvenido nuevamente. Muchas gracias. Uh, es un placer to be here with you guys again, uh, talking with you guys and sharing some delicious liquid. Yes. And now, now, we've we've said that you're kind of our third host of I'm the, the Guillermo. I'm the Guillermo <laughs> to you guys' uh, Jimmy Kimmel, you know? Well, because I remember the first time we did kind of like a recap of the year with Jose, we were like, 
fuck, he's good. <laughs> he's really good. We should have him more often. I've been told I have a good voice. You have an amazing voice, man. And I'm gonna, I was about to tell you right now. It's like, where can I buy one of those voices? It's, right. <laughs> every time, like, you know, I, I go to Dodger games and I, I talk with the announcers that do the play-by-play, -play, like whether it's Joe Davis or Oral or any of the other guys. And I'm all like, where do I buy a voice like yours? <laughs> They all tell me the same thing. It's like, they, they, wait a minute, aren't you on the radio? Right. I'm go, like, wait, this is coming from someone that's been on the radio for over 20 years, but okay. Yeah, but I, sure. sound, I sound like Mickey Mouse compared to these guys. <laughs> well, if my career uh, doesn't succeed or I don't succeed in uh, the spirits industry, uh, I know I'll, to turn to radio as a backup plan there. <laughs> you have something to <laughs> I'll fall do some, back I'll do some on. voice acting, yeah. yeah. So for those who actually don't really understand what your role is, sure. please explain. Sure. So Maker's Mark has a team of diplomats uh, across the country and internationally, actually, now that I think about it, who essentially act as brand ambassadors in their local market. And so we work as a hybrid between both kind of the sales teams and the local marketing teams, um, really to be the face of the brand in our market. And so, you know, we, whenever there's an, uh, an account who wants to buy a barrel, whenever there's like a super special dinner or any kind of like press event, anything like that, uh, we're usually the, the face that's there doing interviews like this. Uh, but then we, like I said, we support the sales team. We support the marketing team. Whenever we sponsor a festival or a concert or anything like that, like we work with them on the logistics. Um, and then selfishly, you know, uh, we also get to work on passion projects like this one being for myself, working with you guys, Bilirón La Musica. Um, when I had the opportunity to work with you guys again, uh, I jumped at the opportunity and um, again, thrilled to, to be here. So are we. We're always yeah. like, we miss Jose. <laughs> <laughs> no, and you know, even since day one of the podcast, and we've talked about this, you know, back when we were at room number seven doing live events, then when COVID hit and we took it to the virtual world, you were the one basically making some of those delicious cocktails, the recipes, That's right. the videos, you know, that, that would get an amazing amount of views because people would hear the episode and be like, well, wait a minute. I want to make that drink also. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's when we kind of came up with the idea. Well, let's do the video. Shows the ingredients. Shows how to make it. And then you were able to uh, bring us some other mixologists as well. That's so right. Thank you for all the years of of seeing the vision and supporting Pilita Lala Musica. Absolutely. Trust, for sure. But it's also, like I said, because you absolutely love music and you love Musica Latina, where did this love for music stem from? So I think like any good uh, Latino growing up, you know, I was just around, I come from a big family and there's always, you know, there's always that family party, that family pachanga, dinners on Sunday, quinceañeras, bodas, whatever. <laughs> and so, you know, my first memories of music was just going to those parties and then my parents and siblings dancing to whatever the DJ was putting on and traditional Mexican music, uh, rancheras, what have you. And so those were kind of like my first memories. And then being the youngest sibling of three, you know, my sister, you know, she grew up in the 80s, so she introduced me to like 80s music. Um, my brother kind of was more of a 90s kid, so he introduced me to like more hip hop and uh, the 90s scene. Um, and then I, when I kind of came into my career, I started working in the indie rock industry. So then kind of, it just all just snowballed into that. So, um, so yeah, since early age, I remember watching like the movie La Bamba. Hmm. And that was the first time I saw somebody with a guitar. And I'm like, oh, I want to play guitar one day. And, you know, I was, you know, maybe, I don't know, six, seven years old at the time or whatever that was. And, and I told my parents and my parents, God bless them. They always tried. They always, you know, wanted to, to spoil me. But I remember like a few times they bought me guitars, but they bought me guitars from like the Tianguis in Mexico when they, when they would go visit <laughs> their family. So like those guitars are not necessarily like 
real guitars that you can like actually <laughs> tune and play, you know, you may be able to get, a, get it to hold the tune for a couple seconds, but no. Um, so it wasn't until I got into college uh, and with um, my first financial aid check, I bought a guitar. <laughs> Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> Do you still play? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but now I've turned into more of a collector than a player. You know, I was in a band for a while, but now uh, I need to get rid of a lot of stuff. I just I don't have any room for it anymore. You know, Raul, I'm sure you know, like collecting vinyl. It's just after a while, it just becomes an obsession, and you're like, oh, I want to get this one. I want to get this thing. I want to get this thing and this thing. And then I'm just like, okay, I don't have any more wall space. You know, I call it a bit of a disease. Yeah. <laughs> and, and knowing a lot of guitar players, and now being at the Gibson showroom where we've done the last four live events. That's right. And it's been a lot of fun to walk into that space, but it is beautiful. I mean, those those guitars are artwork. So mm -hmm. I can see why collectors and guitar players really kind of strive to have that collection. Yeah. It, it's really impressive. I mean, and we would love to have you at one of our next live events. So please, if you're listening to this, follow us on Instagram. That's really the best way to connect. Then we'll send you an invite. You know, the last one we had with Las Cafeteras was absolutely mind-blowing. The energy in that room was just ridiculous. And of course, we had Domino Saints from Puerto Rico yes. representing and Pachi Man. Yep. And we had the Sinceres who were big fans of that whole Soul D sound and growing up also here in Southern California. That was such a big thing. And when we brought it up to um, that, that uh, uh, Little Willie G was going to come by, yeah. and they were, their heads exploded because He's like the inspiration for them, without a doubt. So those are kind of the connections that happen. And like I said, being at the Gibson showroom and being surrounded by all those guitars, it's a beautiful thing. And yeah, even when the musicians come in and go like, you mean I can play any of these? Yeah. Yeah. Pull them off the wall. Plug them in. Yep. Yeah, that's what they're there for. So what, what type of genre was your band? Oh, my gosh. Uh, when I was in my band, I was in a few, but the ones that were like, one was called Cuatro Plumas, and it was like a total ripoff of Enanitos Verdes. Um, <laughs> I mean, the other two guys in the band with me, like I joined the band, and the other two guys were from Argentina, so I'm just like, okay, well, this, this, this tracks. Um, but then once I started playing, my goal was always to play in my cousin's bands, because all my cousins were musicians. And so I'm like, okay, I want to be in their band. And so finally, like, there was some, one of their members left, where they're trying to fig, uh, fix a new band or get to a new band together, so I joined them as rhythm, on rhythm guitar. Uh, we were calling. The last thing we were called was um, Adio Vita. And, Adio uh, Vita. You know, one of those names, Bien Rebuscado. Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> wh what two words that are cool can we mix together and make it sound cooler? <laughs> Adio Vita. And then let's say it in Italian instead of Spanish to make it even cooler, right? Uh, um, <laughs> so we, I say that we were like a fusion of like, Jaro de Palo and like Dave Matthews band, like a little bit of Santana in there, right? Wow. Um, I had a lot of fun in that in that group. We ended up playing, I think the biggest shows we played were at the, um, the Ventura Theater. And like we opened for, I think like any of this. Yeah, we opened for, I think, like Atencio Pelado. So like we opened what? for a few, wow. you know, decent acts. How can we do about this before? <laughs> you weren't famous and we didn't know We were not this? famous. We were like, we were the band that went on before the, the Telonero, before the opening mm -hmm. band. You know, we were like, they really, we were there when they first opened doors and they were still like, you know, putting the beers on ice. Um, so yeah, that was fun. But then my career ended up getting in the way and I couldn't really commit to like, tour dates i'm doing air quotes for people who can't see me <laughs> um so i'm just like okay guys i need to i need to you know drop out and focus on my career for for the time being and get a real job and get a real job yeah exactly <laughs> so raul what are your first memories of 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 music how did you get into music well first of all i i, I gotta say that i feel like the the oldie here in the bunch you know because i'm the youngest of seven and my it's funny the three of us are the youngest yeah, yeah we're all the babies yep <laughs> But we're kind of like a Brady Bunch thing. So 
the next two older sons are were into kind of that rock sound and the heavy metal sound of the 80s right so you're talking bands like dio and i don't know quiet riot whoever right, right. and i never really gravitated to that sound I dug what my next older brother was listening to. And he was, there was a big gap there. And he was into this whole 70s disco thing. So if you ever see Saturday Night Fever where John Travolta is like looking in the mirror and getting oh, yeah. ready, my brother used to do that. Oh my so God, I would, hilarious. and he'd be, he'd be listening to the music while he's getting ready. And I'm all like, just like my eyes were like the biggest thing and listening to that music, whether it was Blondie or Bee Gees, I was all like, that's amazing. And I just gravitated to that, like, just, you know, that just four on the floor, that just dance beat. Yeah. And to me, those are my earliest memories of music. But also, same thing, the quinceañeras, the birthday parties, <laughs> yep. the weddings, all in the backyard and the, the big family reunions. And then just hearing, like, the rancheras, Ramon Ayala, Vicente Fernandez, Los Bukis, whomever, you know, and just hearing that. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool, but that's, like, my parents' music. That's right. not what I'm into. I want to – and growing up, listening to the radio was, like, what now is old school and, you know, bands like Parliament, Funkadelic, Stevie Wonder, and hearing that kind of stuff, that was, like, what I was drawn to. So mm. it was always kind of that rhythm, that rhythm and blues, the funk, the – the soul, the disco, of course. And so those are my earliest memories. And even like connecting like walkie talkies to like a boom box <laughs> and putting one walkie talkie inside the house yeah. and me being in the garage playing music for my brothers oh, through the walkie so talkie, cool. plugging it, you oh, know, that's just funny. I never did that. I never heard of that. That's cool. Yeah, it's cool. So the walkie talkie was basically your speaker. Yeah. For I, was, them. I yeah. was basically like broadcasting <laughs> to, to the den where, where my brothers were. Wow. And I would say, all right, now we're going to check out this song. And I was like doing radio as a little kid, even without even knowing it. Wow. You know, so it was always kind of in me to like present music and say like, check out this song. Mm -hmm. And they never really dug it because they were like heavy metal guys. And I'm all like, they're like, why are you playing Heart of Glass for us? We don't like <laughs> that song. What Bee Gees, listen, they sound like girls because of the falsettos and everything. Oh, I'm my like, middle sister used to love the Bee Gees. Love the Bee Gees. So that's where it started, you know, and then there was a record store that was along the way going to the supermarket. So every time my mom would go to the supermarket, I'd be going with her and I go, let's stop at the record store. And I want this song that I heard on the radio. It was a, a record store called The Music Seller. And the guy's name that owned the store, also Raul. <laughs> and so we had an immediate connection. And so I would hear songs like Blondie or Village People. Yeah. You know, there was a couple of Rolling Stones, uh, little seven inch singles that, that she bought for me, the Beatles. He was the one that introduced me to George Harrison, you know, and we would walk in and my mom would have a conversation with him. He would ask her, it's like, how's he knowing about these songs? And it's like, oh, he just hears them on the radio and he says he wants the little record so he can play it on his little portable turntable oh, that he's got. And that's kind of where it started. And he was the one he goes, I'm going to give you this record. And it was the, a full album. And it was the Beatles. It was George Harrison. And it was like, here comes the sun, the mm. Japanese version. I'm all like, I can't read any of the letters. They're all in Japanese. And he's all like, you're going to learn to love this band. And that was my first introduction to the Beatles. Wow. Very cool. And you, Pili, where did it start? It's funny listening to you, Jose, because I'm like, oh, my God, we have such similar <laughs> stories. You know, I'm the youngest of three. And I also, you know, growing up in Puerto Rico, geographically, we're in the Caribbean, right? But we have, you know, we're 
quote unquote a commonwealth, but in reality, we're a colony of the U.S. So we had like all this influence, music influence coming from the U.S., music influence coming from Europe, especially England, and then all of the Afro-Caribbean rhythms. So there was my music library is so extent without me even knowing it. But because my parents would listen to like classical music or a lot of trios, Mm -hmm. like Eddie Gourmet and like, and a lot of- My mom was all about Los Panchos. Exactly, Los Panchos. Okay, yes. And Dani Rivera and El Puma, right? But then my sisters would be listening to Erasure, Ruben Blades, Menudo, Bee Gees, you know? And then me growing up, my generation in Puerto Rico, all we listened to was, as you know, reggae. So without, like, just subconsciously, I grew up with a music library super, super wide, extensa. Um, and all these parties that we would go to, all the quinceañeras that we would go to, all, you know, in my, in my school during our lunch break, we would play music. Like, my school would play music during our lunch break. So music... I was just surrounded by music constantly, and I love to dance. And um, there was a one once in my life I thought I was going to become a ballerina, but dancing was a really big part of my life, and obviously dancing goes with music. So it was just, it was an organic love, mm. I guess. You know, it wasn't something that was forced. It was just very present for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was until I became a VJ for MTV that I realized fuck, I know a lot about music, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. wow, I've, I had no idea. You know, it's not like I studied music. Um, it just, like I said, it came organically. I really believe that family and your experiences and what you grew up listening to is really your education. It's always the musical education. Absolutely. Because uh, same thing, you know, the, my older sisters all were listening to the traditional Mexican, you know, it, it could be anybody coming out of Mexico, Juan Gabriel, or they weren't into I guess you can call it sort of rock, like Cesar Costa and those artists that were kind of cool and hip. They were like kind of the, the the next generation of that traditional sound. But yeah, it's like, I, I really believe that the influence from our siblings and family, that's really the ultimate cultura, where you grew up from, Because, I mean, I haven't mentioned, but obviously being from Puerto Rico, salsa and merengue were very present oh, yeah. wherever I went. Reggaeton didn't exist. Right. Back then... I knew of what now we call reggaeton as underground. And it was basically because it was an underground movement in Puerto Rico. It originated in Panama, but in Puerto Rico, we took it to the next level. And I had this crush on one of my neighbors. Unfortunately, he was in the wrong path and he ended up being killed. But Jorge was his name. He would come by and give me these mixtapes of El General and all these like old school underground artists. And I would be like all into it, you know, because it mixed reggaeton <laughs> with, with more urban sounds and then eventually it became reggaeton. Right. But yeah, it's your culture, your environment has so much influence. Oh, yeah. In- and then and then going to school and really high school is where you kind of hone in on on the sound that you kind of gravitate to the most. And I was lucky enough that my girlfriend in high school was a, a cheerleader for Roosevelt High. Now, of I, course, she was a cheerleader. Well, I didn't know. <laughs> That's not the only reason why we went out. She was like, nah. cheerleader. She's leaving she out was, that detail. She was literally, uh, she lived across the street and she moved in like when I first started in high school, but she was already going to Roosevelt in East LA. Now, this is where it gets a little crazy. All my older brothers and sisters, I'm the only one that did not go to Garfield High. 
Garfield High and Roosevelt are the rivalries. Rivals. So you got the East LA Classic and everything Ooh. like that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now, now you're <laughs> now you see where this is headed, right? See, so, I didn't grow up in LA, so I, I I'm, oh, yeah. I'm lost right now. What does no, that no, mean? they're just cross on rivals. Okay. Yeah. So okay. East LA. You got Garfield High School where Los Lobos went to. Right. That my brother went to uh, to high school with Cesar. Right. It's the same age. So then they find out that I'm going out with a girl that goes to Roosevelt. Ooh, how could you? How <laughs> Automatically, you? your sisters hated her. Oh, brothers and sisters. <laughs> and I'm all like, look, I'm I, I'm cheerleader going... had no chance. Yeah. <laughs> but no wonder things didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. Right. But. She had to record a lot of the music that they would do their routines to. So it was a lot of the high energy disco, like taps and um, the flirts, songs like Danger and My Forbidden Lover and things like that. So she had all those records because she needed to record them so they can do their routines too. So then I kind of come into the picture and I'm already like playing with records and doing edits and mixing stuff together. So I started doing some of their edits for their routines and she had all the records. So there was a lot of new wave in there, a lot of disco and just a lot of really cool dance stuff. So that's kind of like propelled the the DJ career. That's kind of when it started as well. So it's, it's kind of weird. That's like you cool. said, you get all these different influences mm -hmm. that come in and they mold your sound. But for whatever reason, I always just gravitated to that like high energy, that dance music and that euphoric feeling that that comes from dancing mm -hmm. or just hearing those rhythms. So, yeah, I totally believe that your experiences, your growing up, your siblings all come into play. Absolutely. Now, do you remember who your first like Latin artist that you fell in love with or started listening to? I remember. Respected? My sister like was the first influence that influenced me in rock and español, and I remember like I took her like Cafeta Cuba, self-titled, the first one. I, yeah. It was her first album. That's '92 or something yeah. like that. So yeah, I was in elementary school, but I listened. I remember Rarotonga was a song I'd be listening to on my, on my Walkman going to like elementary school, and I like would try to show it to some of my friends. And I grew up in the burbs, like the only <laughs> the only Latinos there were like all the jardineros and the landscapers, you know. So like all my white friends were like, "What are you listening to? Gosh." You know, uh, so I remember like I'd bring some of that music to school or to friends and everyone would be like tripped out. And so I would stop doing that. Unfortunately, uh, one of the side effects and bad things about growing up in the burbs and people are a little bit closed minded. But, you know, my first concert was, I think, uh, Jaguares and Jumbo. Oh, wow. Uh, that was the first concert I went to at the like Universal Amphitheater when it was, you know, before they turned it oh, into yeah. like Hogwarts World or whatever it is. <laughs> um, so like and my sister took me to that show. Uh, so that was like my first time where like I. You know, Hogwarts is probably like the first Latin band that I really got into, got all their albums, did a deep dive on like, oh, they used to be called Caifanes before, and then mm. they were called this before, and you know, the bands broke up, and there was some went to La Barranca, and some went to this, and I'm just like, so that was the first time I did like a deep dive and really followed, you know, a, a Latin artist. Um, um, there's kind of like a shame to what I'm going to say now, and I shouldn't be ashamed because, you know, they're a great band for what they stand for. It's just like I can't stand them anymore. But my very first Rock en Español concert um, that I went to and the band that I fell in love with was Mana. And We've I mean, Mana had, well, they have so many fans in Puerto Rico that I think one of their only live recordings are from Puerto Rico. Wow. Um, so they would play like three times a year. I'm not exaggerating. And I would go see them all the time. And I was such a big fan of their of their music. Um, but it wasn't until after college that I moved to New York. And my boyfriend at the time was Puerto Rican as well. He introduced me to Soa Stereo. 
a terciopelados mm -hmm. en fobia. And wow. I was like, fuck, forget about maná. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I fell in love with, as you know, like fobia and a terciopelados and all these amazing. I do have to say Café Tacuba was pretty popular in yeah. Puerto Rico and I love them too because of Re. Yeah. Um, that album is like iconic in my life. But maná was like my first Latin band that I really listened to. Tú? Billy, I'm right there with you. It was Mana, the first one. Well, when you talk about the rock and espanol scene, but if if I go back even further, like I said, listening to the records that my mom was playing at the house, Ramon Ayala, for sure. For me, I'm all like, and she would play the records and I would always say like, toca la cuca. That's how I said música, because I couldn't say the word right. Oh, and it was always that, that sounds song. sounds a little... Uh... <laughs> toca la cuca, toca la... You know? And it was uh, Un Día a la Vez, you know, that song by mm -hmm. Ramón Ayala. That was like one of my favorites, and I kept wanting to hear it over and over and over again. And to this day, she she scolds me and tells this story to everybody that I was outside on, like, the, the, the porch. Mm -hmm. And with the record, I was going... Oh, God! Oh, God! To the record... Oops. You're making your own remix. <laughs> she has never forgiven me for that. And she tells that story to everybody. But Ramon Ayala, like if you go back way to the beginning, that was the first artist that I really connected with that was a Mexican artist. You know, I love the accordion and just just what it did, you know, because it's it's up tempo and it's dancey, it's vibey. But yeah, when you move forward to the rock and Espanol sound, it was Mana. That was the first band yeah. that I was introduced to. And it was because of a cousin that lived in Mexico that he came to the U.S. to stay with us for his high school years. And he brought the cassettes. Mm. He goes, you got to check out these guys. You know, because I was playing hip hop and what right. is old school, you know, Africa Bombada, Soul Sonic Force, all that kind of stuff. And he goes, check this out. And he had Caifanes. He had Café Tacuba. You know, he had the Mana records. And those were my first, like, kind of, like, introduction to that sound. You're right. I mean, if I go back, I think the first first would have been Menudo. Yeah, yeah. You know, being the first boy band in the world and coming from Puerto Rico, my sister was, my middle sister was a huge Menudo fan. Like she was, she would dress in like Menudo merch <laughs> and she was actually an extra in one of their movies. Oh, wow. They had a movie and she was, a, she played a Girl Scout around a campfire. Um, so we went to see the movie to see my, my, my sister Alexandra. There's Menudo movies? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, there's Menudo movies. TV shows. Yeah. There's all kinds yeah, of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't come at me, Menudo fans. <laughs> so I think, I think Menudo was like my first like Latino but yeah Rock en Español more of like the genre that we all like now I'm not gonna say Mana is alternative anymore but it was Mana oh back then it was you know Echale Vampiro you know all yeah. that kind of stuff you know it's like yeah. that was massive and I always kind of pushed that away even though like it was cool because there was that new wave sound when because I had already like gone through that sound and hearing it i'm all like yeah it sounds kind of new wavy it, it's it's that vibe especially listening to soda stereo and all that kind of stuff but i was already kind of i had already started djing and i was playing you know more like american dance music and i really kind of pushed all like the latin culture aside almost it's it, que i think and i maybe you can attest to this as well jose but i remember like consciously being like music in our language is not as cool like, it was cooler right. to listen to music in English, okay. yeah. you know? Yeah. I think that kind of changed when I listened to Ciudad de la Furia. Mm -hmm. I, I, I might have smoked that night or not, because that's all I did <laughs> when I was, when I was uh, in high school. But I remember being in the car with a bunch of my friends and someone playing Ciudad de la Furia, but the mix with Atercio with Andrea Echeverria. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, what the hell is this? Oh, yeah. I am right now in another planet. Yeah. And that was like, oh. 
Okay, respect to music in our language, and everything changed after that. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, it was like the, I, I know specifically the moment in time when I moved away from being like, because back then we were like popping and locking and break dancing and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff in the 80s, and it was at a quinceanera at my Nino's house in El Monte, and they had a DJ. That was the first time that uh, I kind of like, I'm all like, F the dancing stuff. I want to see what this guy's What's doing. Yeah. He has two turntables. He's playing the two records at the same time. That's when my head exploded as far as like becoming a DJ. That's when I really wanted to be like, okay, let's get away from all that stuff. I want to do this. Yeah. And that's when it happened. And that's when I'm all like, I want two turntables. Then I went back into the garage, reel to reel, started doing the edits and stuff like that. I'm all like, that's what I want to do. And we've talked about this, that music is that that time machine. It transports you to a time, mm -hmm. a place, an emotion. It, it's really so powerful. And it's that universal language that we always talk about. But you can pinpoint it to that one moment in time where it's like, oh, yeah, that happened right there. Mm -hmm. And it just changed. Or you. even the dance yep. moves that were... <laughs> that were cool back then oh, yeah. and we would dance to this specific <laughs> dance move. So um, how do you think, to both of you, obviously, like this is a question to all of us, but music has influenced your life. And I know that's a, that's, that's, that's a big one. Well, kind of piggybacking on what uh, Raul said, you know, the, that moment, right, where it all just kind of clicked and all changed. So I went to college because I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a Chicano studies teacher. So like growing up in the burbs, you know, like you said, like there was always a little bit of shame of, you know, uh, not being Mexican enough or being right. like the outsider in, in like an all white neighborhood. Uh, nobody really like understanding your music or what have you. So once I kind of broke out of that shell, I got really into like brown pride. Right. And I wanted to I'm like, I want to teach Chicano studies. Like, you know, I want to be, become a machista. I want to I I joined a few meetings, a couple of mecha meetings and whatnot uh, when I was in college. And then so after about my sophomore year, uh, like I mentioned earlier, like my first like or one of my first like college financial aid checks i'm like i'm gonna buy a guitar like i can afford it now i bought a little like 200 like guitar like takamini and um that's when it all changed i was like okay well maybe i don't want to be a teacher and maybe i want to be like a musician but maybe musician's gonna be too hard maybe i can be a music journalist and like i kind of started learning like what the music industry was so i'm like okay i want to be a music journalist so i ended up like looking you know on the old interwebs and trying to find like music internships, right? And I think some of them might have been, you know, at a couple of radio stations, but ultimately where I landed was at a music magazine called Filter Magazine in Hollywood. And I get there and I'm like, cool, I wanna be a music journalist. And they're like, we don't have an internship for that, we have a marketing internship. And I was like, okay, I don't really know what marketing <laughs> Whatever is. Whatever that is, I'm yeah, sure. If it gets know. me in the door, I'm there. Yeah, and so uh, like my first kind of like foot in the door in the music industry was like being part of a street team, and, like passing out flyers or like demo tapes of like, indie artist. Uh, the magazine mainly covered indie and alternative Brit, uh, you know, mod uh, musicians and artists. Um, and so, you know, passing out flyers after shows like at the uh, at the Forum or um, at the Fonda, right? Any of these, any of these venues in LA. Um, and so then, you know, we started doing events around music festivals like Coachella. And I'm like, this is marketing? Like, <laughs> you just get paid to party? I'm yeah. kind of liking and I, this and I get, a lot. get to book bands and get sponsors and, you know, and go, to free concerts? go to free concerts and festivals. I'm like, this is cool. I'm like, so then I was like, the heck with music journalism. Like, I just want to put on parties for a living, you know? Um, and that kind of took me, you know, along this crazy career that um, that I'm in now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when they, when they said, we'll, we'll pay you to go DJ, you're going to pay me? Right. <laughs> you know, I'm all like, I... 
before that, I was just telling people, oh, just yeah, let's let's go buy these records yeah. that I know we we got to play. Yeah. You know, like oh, there's a brand new song called Atomic Dog. We need that song. You know, or right. whatever it is. You know, uh, I'm probably going back a little bit too far, but that was the idea. Like in college and playing, you know, house parties and frat parties and sorority parties and things like that. It's like, well, I need the records. Yeah, I need the songs. They go, okay, well, let's go buy them. And then we can go, we can play them. But then when it was like, well, wait a minute. No, no, no. We're going to pay you to do. It's like, wait a minute. You're going to pay me? I would do that for free. <laughs> I would go DJ. That's how much we were passionate about. Same thing goes, you know, it, we're, we're all in the same kind of world where it's like, if, if it's, if, if your work is your passion and you really enjoy doing it, more than likely you would even do it for free. Right. I mean, that, you and I have this conversation often. We love what we do so much that we're like, sure, we'll do it. And sometimes we don't even ask if we're getting paid yeah, yeah. or we're like, sure, we'll do it for 50 bucks. And then we, we coach each other like, no, we yeah. got to learn how to say <laughs> <Yeah>. no. <laughs> know your worth. Know your no, manifest. Right. Yeah, exactly. But I, I mean, I'm with you. Sometimes it's like, sure, I'll do it because just because I love it. But music is our lives. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, you, you, we, we talk about like where it first started. But we're still doing it like, you know, yeah, well, if things would have been a lot different if you would have gone on and become that Chicano studies teacher. Yep. Nothing against that. No. That's great. The producer of Power Tools mm -hmm. on Power 106, that was my first show that I was really involved with. He's a professor of Chicano studies over at, at CSUN. Mm -hmm. that's you know, and that's, matter. Go Matadors. Yeah. <laughs> his, his girlfriend at the time. Also, professor of Chicano studies, we, we've talked about this with like Devin, where you still learn to learn. It yep. doesn't matter, you know, what the profession is or what you studied, you know, it's going to help you because there's always the, these kind of parallel paths. And if you haven't checked out that episode, it's one of our behind the industry episodes that was with Devin Landau, who's a great booking agent. But he also has the, the background of being that promoter, doing events, right. playing in bands and then saying like, well, wait a minute. This is where, like, kind of my forte is. I can really do this really well and help other artists. You know, and that's where, where, where shit starts to collide in all the different worlds. It's like, oh, yeah, but I learned how to do that. I know how to do that. I know how to write. I know how to read. I know how to do this. And that's all going to come into play where I'm going to have to do this other thing that I'm really passionate about. So being able to have that education, we've always talked about it. It's like it teaches you how to learn mm -hmm. and how to be, just become successful. Uh, a success in life. It's really cool. And when you think about how much music has influenced you, it's been with you since day one. That's right. And, and it's constant. Yeah. It, it never is. It's never going to end. There's always going to be new music. There's always going to be new styles. It's going to morph into a different genre or mixing of the genres to develop another one. And that's what's exciting because it's always going to be new. It's always going to be fresh. It's always going to be progressive. Like walking into KCRW, was never a, an intention to come DJ at KCRW. When I walked in, and I've told you this story before, Billy, it's like I had left DJing. I didn't want to deal with promoters anymore, shady uh, restaurant owners or club owners. I'm all like, I'm done with that crap. You know, getting screwed over. I need some stability. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was finishing up with school, but I, I, I always had the fascination of like producing audio bits, whether they're mix CDs or mixtapes or just editing things so that they sound different. And we were already running like a little independent record label and putting out 12 inch singles of dance music. But when I got to KCRW, it was like, I came in looking for a production gig. I didn't even think about being an on-air radio DJ or radio personality, radio host, a programmer, whatever you want to call it. It was more like, oh yeah, I, I want to help 
I'm looking for a production gig. Mm -hmm. Well, we don't have that, but you can sit and answer our phones in our front office, kind of like you, yeah. you know, looking for <laughs> Starting one intern, job. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, well, okay. So I literally sat down in the main office and, and hello, KCRW. And that's where it started. You know, people eventually found out that I would DJ back in the day with Jason Bentley and do different events and, and have that musical knowledge that to me, it's not, it's not something that I was taught. Right. You know, it's not yeah. something that, that I learned in the books. I'm all like, well, yeah, I know about that music. I know about that. And I know how to mix records and I know what Jason does. I, you know, so one thing just kind of led to another. It, threw me into the music library. Then I started helping out there. Then I ran into some of the DJs, led to making a demo and got thrown on the air. And, and the rest is history. And the the the, the one line that, that always sticks out is like, you have a lot of the same records that Jason Bentley has that we don't have, and you can play them like Jason Bentley can play them. Uh -huh. And for me, it kind of like threw me back because I'm all like, well, wait a minute, don't all DJs mix and they go like, no, here at KCRW, the only DJ that was mixing was Jason Bentley. Mm. And I'm all like, and that's what drew me to KCRW. I'm all like, if it's good enough for Bentley, it's good enough for me. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so I walked in and literally sat down and started answering phones. And that's where it started. For me, it was kind of, I studied acting. So I- You're a ballerina. And I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a ballerina, <laughs> but you know, once I figured that I had an athletic body mm -hmm. and not a skinny, very, 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 you know, thin body. I was never gonna have that. I was like, okay, I'm not gonna be a ballerina. Um, but I wanted to be an actor. Like I wanted, but I wanted to be a theater actor. I've always loved being in front of an audience. That's why I love hosting live events. Um, but I was like, I just wanna be in front of the camera. I wanna entertain, this is what I wanna do. So when MTV came to Puerto Rico, my mom was like, you should audition. And I auditioned cause I wanted to be on TV. That's crazy that your mom is my the, mom. Wow. My mom saw it on the newspaper. She's like, you should audition for this. And I was like, I was doing production. I was doing events. I was working for an produc event production company in Puerto Rico. Um, so long nights, you know, we would work with, with different oh, yeah. spirit brands. You, you guys, you, you know, you know how it is. And I was like, sure, audition for it. And, you know, the rest is history. That's a long story. That's another podcast. But I ended up getting the gig. And then, like I said, that's when I realized, wow, I know a lot about, about music. And then I fell in love with the art form of hosting. Mm -hmm. Very different from acting. You know, now you see a lot of actors on TV hosting, but it's a different talent. It really is. And um, yeah, I was like, oh, I know a lot about music. I can I can interview people and I can interview musicians and I'm really interested in 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 the craft behind and you know what music. you're talking about right exactly and that's the thing you're genuinely interested in what that person is talking about and most of an interview is actually listening it's 100 listening it's so much listening and also i think hosting um is being comfortable in your own skin you know because as an actor you're faking you're you're being someone else but we're, when you're a host or when you're in front of a live audience it's you 100%. There's yeah. not much you can act there, you know, because they will pick it up really fast. But um, yeah, that's kind of like how music came into my world as a career. It wasn't, again, it wasn't intentional. It just happened. It just happened. It was by accident. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, those are happy accidents, you Absolutely. know. It, it's, oh, yeah. We would have never met. No, we that's true. Never met. How sad would that have been? And I would have never ended up in LA. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we would go record shopping. Remember when Melrose had like 
13 stores. different record shops, yep. one at every corner. And then you go across the way to, to Santa Monica Boulevard and go to Prime Cuts over there. And then you go across the way to Aaron's. I mean, these are all record stores that are no longer there. But back then, when we would go record shopping, that's what that was. It's like you're spending an entire day and you're going from shop to shop to shop to shop to shop right. to shop. And the one day that I told my buddies that I'm like, I'm not going today. They go, why? This, this is our day. We're going to go. I go, no, I got to drive to Santa Monica. I'm going to go drop off my my resume. That day was always the kind of the one that, that changed everything. Right. You know, because if you think about it, it's like, yeah, I went to school for urban planning and architecture. But, you know, walking into the basement studios of KCRW, I've never left. <laughs> and, you know, we're now 20 five years coming on 25 years of me being at KCRW. It's crazy. Who would think of like having any job for 25 That's years? That's a long time. It is a long That's time. That's awesome. And and it, it's it's the beautiful space that KCRW is, you know. Yeah, uh, I can say that I'm only a DJ. I'm only a DJ on the weekends. No, 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 no. KCRW is like a family. Yeah. It's, 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 it's become that. And it's been my life. And just like what we get to do and what you get to do. I mean, we're going on to... Let me get the math right. Is it four or five years that we're going into We're going into our fifth year. Yeah. Yeah. Fifth year of the podcast. That's bananas, especially for a podcast. <laughs> it is. That's yeah. a long time. Five years. I mean, we, we, we tell the story quite a bit, uh, like how it started, you know, but Billy and I go back. You come back. You come from the TV world. Mm -hmm. I come from the, the radio world and going to things like LAMC and doing these uh, interviews for your TV show or me for my radio show and then just running into each other that night at the showcases and just connecting and being just those passionate fools, music junkies, as yeah. we call each other, about live music and, you know, these great artists and bands. It's like and then fast forward like 10, 15 years later, it's like we should do something together. Yeah. And poof we know all these bands like you know Bombasterio or whomever there's so many we we've already talked about this quite a bit over the over the years but you know it's like let's just talk with them but you know five, five years i'm like kudos to us i mean again <laughs> we're so humble we're still here the second time yeah. i say that today we're so humble not but five years is a long time mm -hmm. and again we could have not done it without oh, exactly. you exactly the the credit is right here sitting in front of us because you saw the vision you saw the idea yeah. even before we even had one episode recorded you know yeah Valdemar took us into the base into the basement at, at room number seven and I immediately called Pili and I'm all like we have our place yeah I remember we you have our place telling me, yeah. yeah it's like but and I hadn't met you no but it was more than that, you know, because now with Maker's Mark and we're really trying to like make a mark on this podcast world and doing these these interviews and, and telling these, these live stories. events. Yeah, really getting to know that person behind the persona, you know, and and everything that you've just mentioned a little while ago where, OK, you're you're not Mexican, not, not Mexican enough but not white enough. Right. So you're somewhere in the middle. And we had, you know, Denise and Hector up for the interview with Las Cafeteras and they said the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. And that's what kind of spawned their music. Yep. Mm -hmm. So it's what they're passionate about. It's what their livelihood is now. You know, they didn't expect it to be, you know, they're just, oh yeah, let's, let's make music. We know these songs because we heard our parents, our tios and tias do these songs. We know them. Let's just record them. Right. Maybe it'll get us to Japan or whatever yeah, they said right. they wanted to go. Right. So how do you think uh, Maker's Mark and music kind of uh, mesh together? I think that it's just a uh, very authentic way that they both come together. So Maker's Mark, as I've come to learn, um, the story of Maker's Mark is made up of a lot of different stories. Right. Um, our founders, 
Bill and Margie Samuels, you know, they had uh, already came from generations of whiskey makers. Margie, the you know the wife, she was the creative visionary. She you know as while she was Bill, a boss lady. Yeah, while Bill was you know making uh, the juice and the spirit, you know, uh, she was creating the bottle. She was creating the the wax, dipping the the logo, etc. So like. You know, she was a lot of a lot of people give her credit for starting the like um, whiskey tourism. So like whiskey, you know, whiskey row. Right. Mm -hmm. Like she really was the one who first kind of wanted to dedicate, you know, time and effort and money to the distillery to make sure that it was beautiful so people could come and visit it. Right. Because she wanted to share her stories, their stories with fans of Maker's Mark. So, you know, for me, no matter where I have gone in my career, even though I went into the music industry and now I've been in the spirits industry now for about five years, you know, Again, selfishly, I have the ability to, you know, do some passion projects. And for me, given that my background is in the music industry and not, you know, a lot of people in my position have like bartending background or bar management or restaurant management. I don't have that background. So, you know, for me, I put my kind of time and effort reaching out to my resources, which were all, you know, in the music industry. So, you know, when I have the ability to, you know, authentically engage with some of these artists me being a former artist, musician myself, it's like when any artist gets, feels the support when they're starting off or still on the rise, like that's, I think that says, you know, tremendous things about the brand that are supporting them. So I think that, you know, lucky enough, uh, my team at Maker's Mark sees, you know, my vision, like you guys said, like I saw your guys' vision. And so when I presented this opportunity for our brand to support Bilino La Musica, they saw the vision as well. And it just all made sense from the way that you guys, you know, do your interviews, the kind of questions that you guys ask that, you know, you don't have a podcast or interviewers doing that with uh, Latin artists and Latin musicians mm -hmm. the way that you guys are doing. So I think it's very unique. And I think it just um, really is, like I said, for me, a passion project and a guilty pleasure that I get to <laughs> be a part of this with you guys. And, it's like, you're you know, going to pay me to do right, this? Right, exactly. It's like, this is marketing? No. Um, so, you know, you know, working with you guys has been tremendous. And I think uh, every band that I've been fortunate enough that you guys introduced me to when we do our events live, right? They all say, you know, tremendous things about Maker's Mark and the fact that they felt the support that a brand like Maker's Mark is doing events like this and supporting, you know, Musica Latina or uh, fem uh, female uh, musicians, female entrepreneurs, things like that. It, you know, their mind kind of shifts completely of what they thought they knew about the brand, right? And that for me is always kind of like the... Um, the icing on the cake or the what makes me say like I, I would do what you would want do your passion for free right like right when people say like when i when that switch changes and you see that kind of flicker in the back of their eyes and like that made you know the whole event work of those long nights worth yep. it right so um yeah and not only does maker smart has an amazing story you guys also focus on the importance of storytelling correct and the importance of those stories and i think that's why this partnership makes so much sense because that's where you and I come in. You know, we want to tell these stories in a different light, in a different way, asking different questions. We, we're fortunate enough that in our career, we've been able to establish these type of connections with these artists. So they feel super comfortable yeah. in sharing very vulnerable stories. And that's very unique. So I can count at least a dozen or so of the artists that we've interviewed have cried. Yeah. Yeah. Or so many audience cries because oh, right? right. it all touches. Yeah. It know, tugs at the cords for sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. they can relate. But, but really you know, it. even when they're telling their stories, you can see and feel the emotion coming through. It's powerful. It's absolutely powerful. And to to allow these artists a space where they don't normally have. That's why you know pretty much every artist that we've interviewed, pretty much every artist that we've interviewed, at the end of the the conversation, they go like, 
that was so cool. That was amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. You know, it was everything because normally their interviews are five, 10 minutes where, oh, you got a new album or you're going on tour. Oh, what's the next single? Or I know? remember a few artists have come to the events and like tried to leave early. And then once they get done with the interview, they end up sticking around and like canceling yeah. totally. their plans. <laughs> yeah. Right? They're like, yeah, they're like, like, hey guys, I got somewhere to be in like half an hour. And we're like, well, the interview is going to be a half hour. So you're going to be late. And they're like, oh, okay. And then after the interview, like, oh man. Let me get another drink. I'm, I'm going to stick around. Yeah, around. <laughs> that's, 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 como que un, un, un seal of approval, right? Totally, totally. Sí, and, sure. and, you know, the, when we started the podcast, it, we didn't know what we were getting into as far as how much work it was going to be. Yeah. But, you know, it's easy to, to anybody can that's have a podcast. That's an understatement. Any, we have okay. no freaking idea. All right. Anybody can have a podcast. It's very easy to put out, get a couple of microphones or even your uh, your cell phones and record onto that and record it and put it up on, on the web yep. somewhere, wherever. It's a podcast, you know, but we've always had a vision of taking it to that next level. And obviously, Jose, that's where you come in and that's where Maker's Mark comes in. But it goes back to exactly what Billy was saying, that the, the, the path is so parallel and you guys are the storytellers just as we are. You talk about Margie, how she was kind of like the team to, you know, the, the whiskey makers. You're not you visionary. Yeah. She was a visionary. And, but it was more than that. It was designing the bottle, designing the label, really the marketing yep. and the, the look, the feel, the, the design of it. The, and it's such the an iconic, it's such an iconic design. You know, Billy and I, yeah, we could record and we can talk into a microphone, have a guest, but there's way more to it. Obviously, you came in and you saw the vision. Uh, Diana Gio from Criteria saw the vision. You know, Julian, who's our visual designer. and Shout out to Gibson for seeing the vision yeah, as well. Same See. thing. And there, there's a team around everything yeah. that we're doing. Yeah. And everybody does their part. You know, it's, it's not just... Oh yeah, let's do a podcast. Let's record. No, it it is a lot of work. And Billy and I were, she goes like, "Well, we're gonna need to get this done now. Well, we're gonna need that." And then I'm all like, "Well, I'd like, you know, we is like, it's wow, like we it would just... like to get paid, but <laughs> <laughs> if we yeah. want to continue growing this, yeah. we kind of have to keep it reinvesting in the podcast." Yeah, because ultimately the product is what really needs to thrive. Yeah. And same thing goes for Maker's Mark. You know, yeah, obviously the bottle looks cool, and there's all this behind it, but at the end of the day, the product is what's gonna like sell itself. Right. And kudos to you guys because I love the story of how the recipe was gonna change mm -hmm. because the higher up said, Well, you can make more money doing <laughs> yeah. the proof. Yeah. We were gonna we're gonna bring down the proof. Uh so Maker's Mark is 90 proof. There was a moment in time when uh some corporate folks decided, oh, we can make more money if we lower the proof to 80. And uh, it would hit the shelves and within a week it was taken off because of the backlash from <laughs> the, the hardcore fans and ambassadors of uh of Maker's Mark. And, and then they were like, I told you uh -huh. so. <laughs> but, you know, that that just goes to, to show that, that you guys march to your own beat yep. and you guys have your own vision and your own ideas of what the product should be. And I think that's the relationship where, where the worlds collided for us, you know, where you guys saw it, you and Valdemar at the beginning and, and said like, yeah, this is something really cool. That, that we can make happen for the brand. Mm -hmm. And it, it's it's gonna tap into a, a, a demographic, a community that, that Billy and I can help with, you know, and it all comes together. You know, it's it's just taking what Billy and I are doing to the next level, it's taking what you guys are doing to the next level Absolutely. and bringing it together. It, it's, it, it's that world of like, just there's power numbers. And I've said that, and it's so cliche, but it really is. 
But on top of that, it's delicious. Whoa. Especially the one that we're having right now. <laughs> oh my God, this the, is so good. I'm yes. almost done with it, which I think I'm The no. cellar aged, it's really good. Okay, so to wrap it up, because we've, we've been, we were like, we're going to keep this to 30 minutes or under and we're, <laughs> we're at 50 right now. We're in a new year, yep. 2024. What's your intention for this year? Um, as we like to say, we want to, you know, make a mark for the future. So uh, I think I want to continue with the momentum that we've, you know, been able to achieve with the podcast, both, uh, you know, and as well with my momentum that I've been doing with this company and this brand. And I think, you know, I feel nothing but support from them. And I want to continue to support, you know, people like you guys and continue to, you know, shine a light on these incredible stories from nuestra comunidad, nuestra gente, artistas, you know. And yeah, keep going strong. Cheers to that. To Raul? That's a loaded question. I mean, because, you know, you, you always think of like, what's your New Year's resolution? And those are the ones that you don't keep. But what we're doing with Billy Raul and La Musica, it, it's something so powerful that I can't even put into words kind of like what I'm hopeful of it doing. You know, yeah, we want to take it to TV. Yeah, we want to interview these amazing other artists. Yeah, we want it to grow and we want everybody to know about it. We want people to want to come on the podcast. There's so many things that I want to happen in 2024, but I can't even put them into words because I can't, almost my imagination isn't that big enough to, to, <laughs> to make that. happen. You know, so I'm all like, well, it'd be cool to talk with so-and-so or this artist or that artist. But at the same time, I'm all like, we want to have the events going like once a month. We want to take it nationwide. We want to take it worldwide. Mm -hmm. Now Latin Grammys are in Spain. Mm -hmm. Let's go to Spain. We, you know, we've gone to Viva Latino many times. We want to continue to do that. And we want to go to Viva Latino in 2024. Mm -hmm. We want to go up to Bonnaroo. We want to go to Lollapalooza, Rido Fest, and bring the stories to those communities as well. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, you know, a podcast lives on the internet and it's worldwide. And we have listeners all over the world, which is great, but you know, when you bring these live events to the community, that's where it really kind of like, it's like mind blowing. And people are like, well, how do I get to go? Well, you got to come to LA. You got to be in LA. It's like, no, we want to go to Chicago, New yeah. York, Spain, you know, all over and do the events there. So yeah, what do I want to see in 2024? Everything. Growth, expansion. <laughs> yeah. All of it. All the above. Take what about the you? world. I mean, when it comes to the podcast, I'm right there with you i think we're doing something super unique special magical and like you mentioned jose it's not something that a lot of people are doing we're not reinventing the wheel in, in mm. terms of like you know but at the same time we are focusing on a specific niche that's not necessarily tapped into but we all know there's a huge market for it because we're the market yep. <laughs> and our friends are the market and whenever we see the numbers on the podcast or we see the live events they're the market um, yeah, so I would love for us to continue growing uh, and telling these stories in an authentic way and creating these relationships because I think that whether we've interviewed these artists or not before, if we've interviewed them before, that friendship and connection becomes stronger. If we've never interviewed you before, we just became friends. Mm. And I think that's super special. Um, so yeah, that and, and to those of you who are listening, we really appreciate your support. Without you, we couldn't do this either. So you and Jose are essential to this equation. <laughs> and uh, please continue listening to us in 2024 and spreading the word. And Rita also, we got to shout out Rita as well, because we've just joined Latina Podcasters, their network. And um, we're looking forward to just bigger 
better things to yes. come in the future. And and it, it is making those connections, mm-hmm. you know, working with like-minded people that share kind of the same vision. You know, it might not be exactly, maybe they, they're coming from the TV world and they want to help us, you know, take it to TV. Well, we want to do that too. And they're going to benefit from getting these kind of storytellings and these artists coming through that maybe they don't have access to. And linking up with a brand like Maker's Mark that, that also, you know, it's like, yeah, we want to do it our way we want to do it like a very unique way and it's just when it when all that kind of collides <laughs> you can't put that's why i said you can't put it into words you know but but we do want everything to grow and we want everybody to be healthy we want everybody to prosper and we want everybody to benefit from what we're doing that's why you know we we love to share the wealth we want to bring somebody that's a expert in doing visual elements or visual design mm-hmm. or somebody that's an amazing engineer. Hey, you know, I know I can cut it up and I can mix it and it's going to sound pretty cool. But Alex, you know, he's like, he's like, yeah, let's have Alex do it because he's, that's his profession. Alex is our sound engineer that's his for gig. those of you Alex who are wondering fine. who Alex is. You know, and he's, he's an amazing engineer, great producer. He went oh, on tour with Thrano all over the world and he goes, yeah, we're going to go on tour, but I'm still going to do your podcast because I love it and I want to help you guys. And so in between like tour dates, working in the hotel, you know, taking his laptop, it was like, you know, those are the people that we want in our corner. And that's how we 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 choose like who we work with and also the the type of artists that we we talk with. And telling these stories, just like, like I said, like Maker Smart is very focused on telling these stories and so are we. So We appreciate the partnership and the trust, and I am so blessed to be in the company of both of you. You guys are amazing human beings, so I'm thankful. I'm thankful, and I'm excited for 2024 to be able to create with both of you and our community who's listening to us right now. So thank you for listening, and thank you guys for believing. You as well. You know, when you you bring a certain element that, that I cannot do. There's no way I can do what you do, Billy. And you know, well, that's why I think we complement each other. Totally. You know, that's yeah. And like I always say, you're the good cup. I'm the I'm the bad cup. <laughs> <The> dynamic, <laughs> yeah. I, I think we're the yin and the yang. That's better. Not good cup. Jose's a neutral. I'm, I'm the cop behind the uh, the the glass. The, the 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 perp can't see. I'm the one in the uh-huh. back, making sure making sure nothing gets too heated. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Exactly. You're the balance. Coming in regular control. Yeah. <laughs> Holding down the control. Well, Jose, we love what you do. You know, we're big fans. And when you told us that you were going to be working for for Makers, it was like, yes, finally, somebody that understands what you do and values you just like we do. And so so we couldn't do this without you. And we thank you. No, I thank you guys. Thank you for having me back again a, a second time. Um, but thank you guys for also letting me tag along selfishly to your guys' uh, amazing, you know, <laughs> journey. Um, you guys really are doing something really um, tremendous and special. And uh, I consider myself fortunate to uh, to uh, hang on to your guys' coattails and go along for the ride. <laughs> Cheers to that. Salute. Salute.